Where's Applejack? <gasps> so, you seek the rainbow of darkness. <laughs> it is mine, and so is your friend. Welcome back, Serial Killers. Today, I'm excited to have this certain POV boss man himself with me, my buddy, y'all's buddy, Case Aiken. Case, welcome back to the show. Hi, everyone. Maddie, thank you for having me back on. Of course. Now, I could only have you on for us. You know, we've talked Power Rangers. We've talked Masters of the Universe. We've talked Tarzan. We've talked Batman and Robin. And today we are talking the most epic, the largest battles of them all. We are talking the OG, the original, My Little Pony and Friends. Uh, <laughs> which seems, I don't know, everybody at home is probably thinking, like, that's pretty on, on brand for Maddie. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, though, on your show, Another Pass, you and Rachel Quirky Shank have already discussed the My Little Pony movie. Uh, so everyone needs to head over to that feed and listen to that episode, as well as this one. Because uh, I was surprised by some of the things you and Rachel had to say about the movie, uh, you know, through nostalgia lenses, I think. Yeah, Uh it's funny because, like, I'm not sure how much of part of my brand My Little Pony is, even though it's, it's definitely not a thing that I've, like, kept kept aside. I'm just, like, I was a huge fan of the show and, like, kind of peripherally the toys, even though I didn't really have that many when I was a kid. But, like, mm-hmm. the, the like the cartoon was on, like, every morning before school mm-hmm. for me. So that was, like, a, a, a thing for me when I was, like, four yeah. or five. And then, uh, like, I was very happy mm-hmm. that, like, uh, brony fandom kind of came around for a period, even though I know there's like some toxic parts of it. Like it was like kind of cool to be like, Oh, there's like actual male oh, acceptance yeah. of this franchise. And like, I like my little pony friendship is magic. I think mm-hmm. it's a, a really fun show. That's really well-written. I haven't seen all of it. Uh, there's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. but it, what I've seen, I really like first two seasons are great. Uh, I haven't really watched much more. And that's mostly cause like it just wasn't on Netflix at the time when I like binged the first chunk of it and then have not had a yep. chance to like go back. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fun little fantasy show that uh, has had a really enduring legacy. Like they keep trying to make it work um, with varying degrees of success. And this was the attempt that I was here for and checked it out and really liked it then. And uh, mm-hmm. then they tried multiple times since. And then we got the Friendship and Magic, which was a huge cultural mm-hmm. thing. And then now, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is, it is you know, like many of the things of the time uh, that you and I have talked about before, this was started with a toy line. And, uh, you know, and it was actually called My Pretty Pony, just for everybody out there. Uh, started in 1982, I believe, 1981. Um, and then by, you know, we get 1982, we get start getting the toy line that is known as Generation One. Um that would last through 1992. Uh, but the show itself actually only aired for two years in 1986 and 1987, but was syndicated many, many, many years. Um, and then in 1992, they added a series called My Little Pony Tales, uh, where we focus on a new group of ponies that we hadn't really met before. And I believe Megan is not in My Little Pony Tales. No, that one is basically like a, a, Disney, like, I, I 
I remember it from Disney Channel. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it originally aired there, but that mm-hmm. one was um, like let's let's do a a young adult teen Disney comedy, like in any of the Disney live action mm-hmm. things. Um, but they just happen to be ponies. Like there's no actual acknowledgement besides yep. like some lexicon stuff that they're ponies. They like they bake yep. and they like drive cars and they like mm-hmm. have regular jobs. Like they, it could mm-hmm. be anything. It was just like pony franchise, like on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and with my little pony tails, we had gotten something that we hadn't gotten in the original, which is boy ponies in the original series that we're talking about today. We only get female ponies with the exception of, um, uh, night shadow. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, that was a real, uh, no, there's one episode where they have the brothers come through <sighs> the brother. Mm, that is true. But you know, we get yeah. the singular, they're, they're not there generally. Well, and it's because, uh, the yeah. brother's toy line dropped about that time. So, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> you got to tie it in, got to tie it in with the Clydesdales, uh, which I loved as a kid. So, um, case, I'm going to ask kind of a broad question for you. Uh, and, this statement, this term has, I think for a lot of people, we actually were talking about it in the discord yesterday uh, before we record this. Um, what is nostalgia to you? Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of conversation about how nostalgia is both a, a interesting positive force that people have sort of really embraced. Uh, and at the same time can be sort of this like toxic kind of gatekeepy kind of element um, that we've been sort of seeing ever since like the reinforcement of pop culture has become really profound in the starting with the aughts um, and going forward. So I think nostalgia can be a force for reconnecting with like this pure part of your childhood, which sometimes is not very strong, but you can still sort of appreciate the affect of it. Like I see a lot of people who will rock like Power Rangers gear or mm-hmm. My Little Pony, probably they're more doing like more recent adaptations of it mm-hmm. um, or, or like Barbie or whatever that they're not necessarily avid, like like a 36 year old woman who ha- who likes like Barbie paraphernalia probably isn't an avid Barbie. Well, I don't want to like speak too speak quickly on that one. Uh, she might collect from a standpoint of like liking it, but probably mm-hmm. isn't just like playing with her dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that it didn't mean something. And it's not sort of like a, um, positively triggering kind of emotional response. Like I have tons of things for, uh, I'm in a nerd cave right now. A lot of it is stuff that I don't actively like think about on a regular basis, but it's nice that when I get the sort of like dopamine hit of being like, Oh, remember being a kid sitting in front of the TV, sort of like taking in this world and sort of embracing it all that, that can be kind of a positive force. Um, it can be negative where you say nothing good has come out recently. You dismiss anything that, that, are, is being generated newly or like any sort of twists or changes that are, are being applied to it. Um, but hopefully it's not like, again, it's, it's sort of a, a, a double-edged sword. Like it's cool to take old things and remix it and appreciate them and look at them in new lights and know the history. And, you know, like this show is a great a- aspect for that because like, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful time saying like, all right, here was the production of it. Here's why that show was made. Like here's mm-hmm. all those sort of like extra layers of what's going on with a-, a property that you cared about as a kid and you fondly look back on. Um, and that fond look, looking back on is I think the, the good part of nostalgia, like it shouldn't trap you, but it, it should give you a, a nice little like, step you know like a little uh, little little something for your step in your day like i mean like sure. ah, that was some fun shit and just move on with your life 
Yeah, or, you know, I always love it when it's that thing, you know, now that distribution and merchandising rights have kind of shifted hands. Um, this has happened a lot, specifically with Shout Factory coming about in the last few years, where they've acquired all of these distribution rights to all of these shows. Um, because, like, My Little Pony, we had one DVD release 20 years ago um and then that price shot up so much that like it was just the same used copy circulating and then suddenly a year ago you can get my little pony and friends and my little pony tales for $30 for the complete series on Amazon which is just unheard of and you know they did it with Power Rangers as well so it's those little things of Oh, we can revisit. Oh, I can stream this. I can show it to my kids. Or I was at Five Below the other day, and they have a, just a plain white T-shirt that's got three of the classic ponies on it. And it's just really simple. And I was like, I'm not going to wear that. But it just fills me with joy that it's like in the store in a way that like we can have the classic stuff right next to the new version. So right next to friendship is magic. Um, or, you know, you and I are big power Rangers fans. So having a mighty Morphin power Rangers line right next to the dino fury, like all of these things are right next to each other. Um, and we're able to kind of exist as these fandoms. Um, and it's, it's just, I love that fuzzy little feeling you get inside, call it dopamine, call it, Call it whatever you want to. But for me, I think that's what nostalgia is ultimately and why I love revisiting properties like this. Now, I do think, I mean, your kind of whole brand is based on let's visit things that maybe weren't great, but let's let's talk about why they weren't great, but how they could have been great. And I think a lot of that conversation is going to be about our pony conversation today because um, I watch I watch the the old shows occasionally. They're great. They were great study stuff in grad school. Um, they're great background things. But like sitting down and like listening to story and like watching, I went, "Ha! Huh, this was something." And we're you know we're not talking about the whole series today. I think uh, we picked like four arcs to talk about that I think are probably some of the most well known. Um, or I guess for me meant something for me because they're what sticks out in my little goblin child brain as the episodes I remember seeing the most. Um, so what are some of your earliest memories of ponies and like how you found them? Um, I, so like you said, it was on when I was a little kid, probably in syndication, although 1987, I actually would have been a cognizant enough mm -hmm. human. I was, I was born in 84. Um, yeah, so it may have actually been in its original run in '87 that I was actually registering that it was on, but it probably mm -hmm. continued in syndication on the same channel uh, for like oh, another year or two after that. And it was kind of just in a block um, with like Mighty Mouse and Thundercats. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, specifically mm -hmm. Thundercats is the, what I remember being paired with it a lot, which is like uh, also a thing that I really like that like I've cosplayed as, and it has been a a, a big uh, franchise that I just appreciate, which is kind of where. Ponies is, mm -hmm. but Ponies ended up being one where after that initial run of syndication, it actually disappeared for me. Um, it, I became aware at some point early on about the movie, and so that every now and then I could find it at a blockbuster. It wasn't consistently available, mm -hmm. and it wasn't like not just in that it would be checked out, but also sometimes it would just not be there, and it wasn't. It was hard mm -hmm. to tell, and for whatever reason, my parents never just like bought it, even though I like constantly was looking for it. Um, and then uh, then Disney Channel. So 
I don't at some point Disney Channel just became part of my local cable package and that's when we yes. actually got it. Like we didn't get it when it was like part of the like the premium like an, mm-hmm. like an HBO kind of add-on. Um, mm-hmm. and when that happened, My Little Pony Tales was on it. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I actually never watched an episode of My Little Pony Tales. Like it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was just they just played My Little Pony and Friends <laughs> uh episodes mm-hmm. like in it, it but using the the int- it was it was weird like I the the theme song for My Little Pony Tales, like, is, like, ingrained in my head because, like, every episode would open with that with that theme, but then they would play an episode from the previous series, which is, like, a weird kind of contrast right there. Um, so I, that's sort of where I, like, as a slightly older, because at that point I was probably more, like, uh, like eight, uh, where, like, mm-hmm. I remember more foundationally, like, actually having watched that all. Um, and then... Uh, and then, yeah, as, like, an adult, I, like, kind of came back to it. Like, I found a cheap DVD copy of the movie, and I was like, oh, cool. And I, like, rewatched it, like, a couple years ago. And I was like, oh, this is fun and dumb. And then um, mm-hmm. I wanted to do one with Rachel, and I found out that she was also a Pony fan. So we talked about the movie, which I still think is actually overall pretty fun. Uh, it's I love that movie. It, the, the musical <laughs> aspect of it faults, is... I love it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Like, <laughs> like, also, the cast is She had some so good. strong critiques of it. Oh, mm-hmm. the cast is amazing on that. You're like, how the, how is this the thing? And, and like mm-hmm. that one and the show also has like some strong critiques as a musical where like the concept of vamping oh, yeah. is just unknown. It's just like, OK, time for a song now. Uh, but that mm-hmm. is also mm-hmm. common for kids media. Like, do you remember the Donkey Kong Country yes. cartoon? That was also a musical. Uh, they're, they're, no, that sounds like a fever. That's just a now. subgenre of kids cartoons that for some reason we don't talk about. Oh, man. yeah, they do. Uh, uh, but but yeah, and then uh, and then actually it was on that episode. I, I can't remember if it made it on the cut, but it was on that recording of another pass with Rachel where I was on Amazon and I looked and I saw that you could get the DVDs for like 20 bucks mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, for like the set of all of the original My Little Pony and then also Tales. And I was like, fuck it. Yep. And uh, during the quarantine, I was just like, eh, you know, what? I'll put this thing on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Particularly because they're short. Like the, watched... the episodes for the original format yeah. uh, were 10 minutes each. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I could, like, watch a couple before going to bed. Because, like, uh, so during the quarantine and, and, and still now, like, uh, I, but particularly during the early phase, uh, I work for a liquor distribution company as my day job. And, like, I never stopped going into work. And, in fact, we downsized mm-hmm. our office like so i it was me as the only admin person and then like all of like our warehouse crew and thus i opened and closed every single day so it was like this you know horrendous cycle but we had to like try to keep going to keep the company going so like i would come home and just be burned out and like like basically i'm gonna sit on the couch i've done all the work i can do for all the podcast stuff i need just like mm-hmm. 30 minutes before i go to bed of just like of complete <laughs> Like, I don't need it to be complicated. I don't need to be mm-hmm. to be intellectually rewarding. I just need that dopamine hit. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so yeah, I started watching absolutely. this. And that I th- was about the time you were talking about like working on a modified version of your original show, and I was like, yeah, this would be fun to talk about. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and we're finally getting around to it because I'm awful with scheduling. Uh, well, and it's it's so yeah. interesting, kind of the way they actually structured the show because. You know, my adult brain has very different memories of how things actually worked. But two of the episodes we're going to, well, arcs that we're going to talk today were actually put at the end of the seasons, but they were the first two specials that were created as like 
pilots. Um, the first, which is one of the most emotionally jarring child's things, which seems on par for the 80s, which is, uh, you know, uh, the My Little Pony animated special slash escape or rescue from Midnight Castle slash Firefly's Adventure slash rescue at Midnight Castle um, and Escape from Katrina, which were actually created before the show. They were these pilots. Then the movie came out. And then the show started because I always forget that like, and I don't know why in my mind, I always think that like season one happened, then the movie happened, then season two opened with um, uh, the Flutter Valley 10 part episode, <laughs> um, the two hour uh, uh, saving yeah. Flutter Valley arc. <laughs> um, but it's it's not. And it's it's oddly funny that I don't remember questioning that I had no idea about any of the story, any of the canon from when we launched. And now I was a babysitter kid because uh, both of my parents worked through the 80s until I went to school and my mom decided to become a homemaker. Um, but I vividly remember 80s cartoons. I mean, I had a tiny little goblin brain because uh, I was born in 85. Um, and so... You know, I remember all of these specifically, and I was a boy who liked bright colors and anything that was happy and sunny. And so, you know, my parents indulged, and they were like, they're just brightly colored horses, it's fine. Because, um, you know, there was oddly that time of it was the 80s, but like the toys, you know, you, you could hit it in age, but where they didn't care about gendered toys until they cared about gendered toys. <laughs> um and so it's it's just always interesting to think about the structure of this show. And again, it's like thinking about Rainbow Bright. I have such vivid memories of every episode of Rainbow Bright. And I was like, oh, that can't be all of them. But no, they only released 13 episodes of Rainbow Bright in three years. But they just played them all the time. It's like the My Little Pony episodes. We only have 65 episodes between yeah. the first two seasons. And they were just syndicated constantly. Because looking at their release schedule, they only released from September to November of 1986. And then just in November of 1987, every day they released episodes. Um, but like, that's literally the only time we had new original content, which again, the eighties were such a strange, unusual time for, you know, pairing a show just to kind of quote unquote, just to sell new products and, you know, shows like Jim, it was obvious because like glitter and gold Jim was coming out. So it must be new in the show, but in the pony series, you know, new ponies were just going to show up out of nowhere. Um, but I think the biggest ones for me are like the bright eyes, which are the crystallized ponies. And they're like the animated crystallized, but nobody asks any questions. Nobody talks about it. They're just, they're there. Um, you know, but we meet the princess ponies and things along the way where, uh, you know, it was to sell these products. But I, I mean, I have such vivid memories of like running into Toys R Us as a kid and just the walls of the, the very strangely packaged pony toys. Like I went back through yesterday and was just looking through um, a database somebody has of every pony ever created internationally by color. Um, 
Because sometimes you're watching the show and there's a background pony and I go, oh, I loved that one. I don't remember their name. Let's look this up so I can figure out how expensive this pony doll is now. Which, y'all, if anybody has kept their ponies in pretty nice condition um, and you're ready to play the waiting game on eBay, you probably should. Because uh, they're running anywhere from like 10 to $80 a piece out of the packaging. So like it's... It's wild. Um, you know, if anyone wants to send me a pretty good condition ribbons pony, you know, we at SMC would <laughs> accept it. I actually, uh, you know, it's funny cases. We talk about this. It's not something it's, it's, <laughs> we, I randomly discovered that cases you and I were working at the green girl, that case loved ponies growing up. Uh, because I believe the statement you made one day case. Now we can cut this out if you, if you would like me to, but one of your childhood crushes was wind whistler from my little no, pony. It's, it's fine. It is fine. <laughs> and I, yes, that's I think I looked yep. across the room at you and went, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, again, uh, just cause you and I were very easy and fast <laughs> friends. And so that was just another thing, but watching, you know, rewatching any episodes that I rewatched with wind whistler in them, which is hard to pin down why she's not in every episode. Cause like, she's so prevalent in the episode she's in. And then there's arcs where she's just not around, but that's how it is with a lot of the ponies. I guess they needed to rotate, make sure there wasn't. Yeah. It's really weird how they balance the characters in the show. Well, and you could really tell when they were pushing the bright eyes because galaxy was in like 19 episodes in a row. Um, but she's like the only bright eyes pony that was really like her and gingerbread, but gingerbread was such a brat. I can't imagine anybody wanted gingerbread. Um, also, why do you make the pony gingerbread and then make her white and blue? I don't understand. Um, <laughs> thank God for Lauren Faust and, <laughs> and her concepting of friendship is magic. But what I will say is Lauren Faust is in our age group and she, her, pitch for friendship is magic was a love letter to the original animated special. Um, cause you know, she even has art that she released of, uh, all of the, the escape from midnight castle characters as friendship is magic characters. I mean, and several of them have come through. I could do a whole show about friendship is magic, but, um, with all the callbacks from the original series, but well, but that's, that's a good point you bring up though. The, the Friendship is Magic uh, characters are very clearly modeled after uh, the... Sorry, again, the title kind of is wonky on this one. Um, the, the Rescue at Midnight Castle mm-hmm. episode. Like, those characters are fairly one-to-one. Um, and Applejack mm-hmm. even is included. And the others are... Um, they I think the deal was that they couldn't use them for rights purposes, and so they created new characters. Mm-hmm. But, like, Twilight became Twilight Sparkle, for example. It's it's very obvious mm-hmm. how, how that mm-hmm. influenced the later series. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and there's even art floating around of the original pitch of all of them with, you know, Pinkie Pie-ass surprise. Um uh, rarity as sparkle, like those things of like, it's so evident where they were. I mean, and rainbow dash yeah. is supposed to be firefly, which I loved firefly growing up. Um, I don't know. I was always a Pegasus pony kid, but now as friendship is magic. I'm like, mm, the unicorns, um, uh, just cause the unicorns in this original series too. It's so funny that like they're, <laughs> or be an alicorn and why not both? <laughs> ah, the alicorns, but you have to be a princess to be an alicorn case. So like, I'm not really sure that's something we could aspire to be, uh, because I'm not really sure I am a strong enough individual to be the princess of friendship. 
I could be the princess of contrarianism, I think. Uh, <laughs> as every neckbeard gets very angry at me right now. But I doubt <laughs> the neckbeards listen to my show, let's be honest. Um, but it is it is really interesting, and that's one of those things when we get a reboot like Friendship is Magic, or I'm literally staring at uh, one of the new Care Bears from the people, like a bunch of the folks at Steven Universe are now doing the new Care Bear series, which I think is oddly appropriate. <laughs> um you know, it's, it's, I love when things come yeah, back. Yeah, that one fits. I love when things come back because they are a true love letter to what was done before in many situations. And I'm going to say this specifically, I find on female identifying humans led series. Um, I mean, even looking at the Jim and the Holograms comic book, it is a clear love letter to a very flawed retro property that they then figured the flaws out and made it better. Um, and so friendship is magic is the same way, but I think, you know, it's, you know, also looking at like the power Rangers comics, uh, you know, power Rangers is not quality wise, the best series. We have some that are really great. You and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Um, but you know, it's that thing of the comic books were an opportunity to start over from the beginning in a way, uh, just cause nobody can get past mighty Morphin, apparently, um, you know, cause there's that nostalgia where it's like the original's the best. And it's like, well, we got to get past the original <laughs> in order you know, to get through. So I think I love that we're coming back and revisiting this original because so many of the, the even brony culture really doesn't delve back into kind of the lore and where we came from and where we started. And also, you know, it is an interesting fact that while she popped up in the background of an Equestria Girls movie, Megan is never seen of again once we leave this franchise. And she was a huge selling point, uh, her and Molly and Danny. Um, even though I didn't realize until I looked yesterday, Danny's in like five episodes, really. At the end of the day, he's not in a ton of the show, but you know. Yeah, it's mostly because Danny's in the movie. Yep. Well, and they needed to sell something to the boys. You know, they needed to find those moments of how can we, you know, it was like, Jim, how do we interest the boys to keep watching while their sisters are watching as well? Um, which, you know, we were uh, just a kind of caveat with everyone talking about the 80s media, especially children's media and toys we have to use very kind of archaic and gendered binary terms now because things are thought of as boy toys, girl toys, boy, to boy properties, girl properties. And so, um, we mean no offense to anyone out there as, as a non-binary human myself. Uh, but you know, we're gonna, we are going to jump in, uh, and start with, I think let's, we're just going to start at the beginning. We're going to start with uh, rescue from midnight castle, which, uh, if anyone knows me and I have forced you to watch this, it means we are true, true friends and I love you. Because, Case, this is peak 80, like, made for children, but it's so traumatizing. Like, uh, would you, do you want to give the viewers at home oh, just a little, yeah. uh, just do you want, oh my God. Do you want to give the viewers at home just a little plot synopsis of the, you know, it's, it's 28 minutes, but this 28 minute special. Yeah, so this one I found a bit later in my, mm -hmm. like, fandom of My Little Ponies, because like I said, I kind of, like, did some research when I was, like, it, it, like preteen, and then um, then then actually teenage years, I kind of, like, I think I actually mm -hmm. found a, a rip of this one, so I didn't actually see this when I was that little, um, but yep. this was the original pilot, because they kept on trying to create the show as a whole, and so this is not, this is weirdly in continuity, but, like, 
um, a very different production. Like all the all the models for everyone are are different. Like the horse has, or all the ponies have different designs. And as we mentioned, all the characters are are fairly look very different. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and all the ponies are fairly one to one with characters in Friendship Is Magic, which is sort of interesting. But this is where we introduce Megan. This is where we introduce Spike. Um, th- this is where they sort of create the concept of a My Little Pony cartoon because there's this is the first point for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in it, we've got basically a an evil sorcerer who's uh, sending out hordes of monsters to trap ponies and then. Uh, terrifyingly with magic transform them into the these like draconic steeds that it then uses uh to pilot its chariot um and uh the the ponies like find a human by happenstance uh megan who becomes sort of the protagonist of the series and then uh with her help they they find a friendly wizard who gives them a magical artifact that in it turns out to be what's called the rainbow of light which is this uh macguffin that they have for the majority of the series but this is this and the sequel are the two areas where it like is a big player um and with this magical artifact, they're able to defeat the guy and free free his people, many of whom had been turned into these like weird winged goblin creatures uh, who then uh, rose up because of the ponies and because of Spike, the dragon, uh, showing like the, their kindness, like they like they all rise up against uh, I forget the name of the the. The, the, the bad guy, and I watched it last night and I still can't remember. Uh, but like Zoltar the something, something ridiculous. The, yeah. 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 So, so they overthrow him. They, de- they defeat him with a rainbow of light. And then, uh, and then it turns out that most of these like goblin creatures have been transformed humans. Uh, so there's like this weird, like return to a classic fantasy kind of style at the very end, despite the fact that it's supposed to be kind of contemporary mm-hmm. and like just over the horizon in a very like Oz kind of way. Uh, for everyone yes. um and then just spike just joins the the ponies is like part of their like their main cast he's and like indoors like spike is like that you know is obviously well known in friendship is magic like that character has just become mm-hmm. part of the fixture it's like well if you're gonna have multicolored ponies you're gonna have a baby dragon too right like you have a baby dragon who's purple and green uh, i love him yeah yeah it's <laughs> well and and i just want to reference that this dark wizard who is named tirak is uh, an effigy of Satan himself. He has giant horns. He is a black and red centaur who wields the rainbow of darkness. Like when, like I need everyone to pause right now and go watch this. It's in three parts on YouTube, but we also get my favorite part of the motherfucking franchise, which is the sea ponies (laughs) and their infectious song. Which I just love. I love the sea pony so much. Yeah, that is a thing about the the property being a toy driven thing. Um, each time we kind of reset the series, there's an excuse to be like, let's introduce a new group of ponies that is a a toyetic component. And so in this one, that's where the sea ponies show up to sort of save them when they're drowning. Um, mm-hmm. And they have this, as you mentioned, it's like very giant uh, musical consistent number. song that they sing every time they show up. <gasps> Yep. Shooby doo, shoop choopy doo. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's so dark. The art, it, it is an incredibly dark material. Uh, it is uh, very well animated. Again, this the all the characters are a bit off model, and the reason they're off model from the later series is because clearly they they did this one and realized that the cost was too high to maintain the level of quality of animation, and thus made it a little bit simpler for later stuff. But uh, it's a shockingly good uh, My Little Ponies story. Obviously, it's self-contained because it was the the first thing. There's nothing to reference back to, um, and it's 
uh, it, it's pretty dark. Like there's there's a lot of like physical violence. Like there people get like smacked around a bit. There's like mm-hmm. some like big scares. Not just like ooh ooh they're scary, but like oh god that like that hit might kill someone, uh, which is surprising yeah. to see. Yeah. But when you consider this is like kind of the same. Uh, this is kind of the same era as like the Transformers pilot and the uh, the GI Joe stuff that's going on. Like they're mm-hmm. they're kind of figuring out like what you can get away with with kids. Um, and uh, they, they decide to pull back after this. But uh, this one's actually, it holds up pretty well. Quite a bit. Yeah, so what are some things that for you just really stand out as like watching with with or without nostalgia goggles, you know, because I think it's hard to not have a reminiscent because I'm like you. But I did find out when this was syndicated again. So these, it was up, it was broadcast in two parts. But after the initial broadcast, this rarely made the the re um, the re rewatches. This rarely was rebroadcast, where everything else was rebroadcast pretty frequently. This would maybe be rebroadcast once a year, maybe, um, because it was literally known to scare children in a way that they thought was going to permanently ruin the franchise, which is why I think they tucked it in at the end of the first season for actual broadcast. Um, because it is, again, it is jarring. Um, so that could also be why you don't remember watching this because, and I know it just did not make the Disney channel rebroadcast at all. Um, when, when that happened, uh, so what are some things for you, just story-wise, as we're looking at this, that really stick out and make this an effective story as we rewatch this now? Um, so like I kind of mentioned, the, the, this sort of sets up the, the setting for the My Little Pony kind of universe uh, when compared to the real world. Um, mm-hmm. in, and unlike, say, Friendship is Magic or, uh, or, or Tales, where it kind of is its own reality uh, completely, there is this pretense mm-hmm. that it is a just-over-the-horizon kind of fantasy place. Um, it is, uh, like, it is Dream Valley. You could theoretically fly there. Um, and I, I find that this alluring component of fantasy that is difficult to do nowadays. Like, I think um, it, was, it was already, like, impossible to conceive of really in, in the eighties, if you had a, a, a general sense of the world, but like, it's, it's an older kind of concept, like a Gulliver's travel kind of concept where the, like the world is mysterious and like, we only know it so well, like there's still, you know, the, I, obviously the 20th century is like trying to, <laughs> the 20th century is nostalgic for the 19th century in a certain sense, because the, it's like, there's like the sense of fantasy, uh, that there is a world beyond there. There is a frontier, but like the, the 20th century kind of like starts with, the U S declaring that there's no more frontier and there's no more, there's no more mystery to go to. Um, and then once we kind of develop like flight, we sort of just like know what the globe looks like. And, uh, and, and this is trying to harken back to an older time where no, no, like just, just, just beyond there might be some really crazy shit. And in this case, uh, there's a crazy Valley full of sentient horses, some of whom can fly, some of whom can teleport, some of whom can do whatever. And there's other <laughs> fantasy things and there's other kingdoms beyond that. And uh, they can come here and they can actually interact with a regular horse at one point, which, uh, doesn't happen too often in my little pony. Cause they don't want to like have the question of like, here's a sentient creature mm-hmm. versus here's a non sentient creature. Uh, but I, I think it does. This does a really good job of being like, all right, we're going to introduce the world and we're going to set enough rules that we kind of understand how it all works. Um, we introduce a human protagonist for people who need that to sort of exist with and like give her a decent enough ex- excuse to be there. Um, 
so that all kind of works pretty well. And, you know, we, again, we have this like larger sort of like fantasy environment. It, it promises all this adventure. It's, you know, it, like I said, it is kind of like the world of Oz in the sense of like, there's, uh, there might be other kingdoms. There might be other, other things going on just, just beyond. And if we, if, if you come onto the show, we'll eventually like start exploring those corners of the universe. Uh, <laughs> and I think that this does a really good job of promising that both you'll have these exciting moments and this, this like carefree stuff. Um, like the opening sequence of this um, has a, a lot of like the ponies just sort of playing around and having a good time. And that actual chunk got used for the closing credits of the My Little Pony and Friends animated yeah. series. Uh, so if you only watch that, you'd be like, what, what's going on? Why? <laughs> None of the ponies in the credits actually from the show, uh, but uh, it with that really like smooth animation that they're doing, they're they're selling this like very fun, glorious world of like yeah, horses who fly, and isn't that exciting? And like uh, ponies who want to like take risks and like do you know leap off of cliffs and like someone can catch them, and you know it's all this promise of like look at all this adventure, but we we exist in a world where it's safe and like while there are scary things that might do something bad to you you might be transformed into a terrible dra- like dragon monster um we can still mm-hmm. fix it in the end and also a nice thing going on right. with like spike for example who is a baby dragon living amongst all these you know transformed monsters and so forth and being raised evil he ascends or like he aspires to be good and he he is accepted despite the fact that he is technically a monstrous form with them uh which is an surprisingly a recurring theme in my little ponies of accepting people despite their differences. Um, so that's a really good thing they do in this, in this adaptation. It's, it's really just that they wanted a new cast of characters for toys and they wanted new designs for, for animating purposes that this didn't become just the bedrock of the, of the series. Right. Well, and it's interesting that I think with the exception of Applejack and Mel medley melody, um, we don't really see Twilight, Bowtie, or Cotton Candy. We see them, but they're not very prevalent, and we never see Ember again. We never see poor little Ember, <laughs> um, which is interesting because she is also, I think, the only unmarked flank that we have in the whole series. That's not a po- of the of of a pony pony land pony. Um, so these little things that like, they just didn't kind of keep, um, which, which is interesting. And something we get in this that we don't often get. I mean, we occasionally get humans that will show up. I mean, we get the witches in the movie, but you know, when Scorpan, who is this like beast with wings, um, who's been taken by Tirok, when he becomes his princely form again, one kind of looks like the King of Eternia Two, um, uh, he's one of the only times that we get a human that's not Megan because the Mushnik is really like a gnome and then the witches are the witches but like we don't really get humans again and I guess that was a decision that they made at some point to further separate this idea of where where Ponyland is and where this idea of magic existing in our real world just being beyond our fingertips is um and, but I, as far as like a property could go, I love this, this two part. Like it is one, I think it's great storytelling. And after they leave, um, uh, the Katrina, uh, second special in the movie, 
they do what Jim does, which uh, not many other series did. I find the girl-centered series did it more. They don't really hone in on an effective way to tell a story in a short time. And I think that's something that they did really effectively was telling a complete pony arc in 28 minutes or 26, whatever 26 with commercials would have been. Um, and so I think that's something that's really effective. And I think this is still a really engaging and fun story to watch from a story aspect, from a viewer aspect. It is legitimately dark and scary. Uh, and I think um, when, people have an idea of what the original ponies is. It's not this. And that's why I love to kind of flip it. It's flip it on its head and, uh, show them this. Yeah. It's, it's so, um, it's a very well done piece that like, you can see why they, why they thought that, Oh, this can go to franchise. It's the the fact that the character designs are terrifying, um, does (laughs) kind of change it all, but you, it, it's an impressive work, you know? And like I said, it promises a lot. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that Scorpion is a, is a traditional fantasy prince from a different land that mm-hmm. is beyond dream Valley is it, like, mm-hmm. is this cool idea that if you're a little kid there, there are still all those like fantasy stories ahead of you, mm-hmm. like a, out there in the mm-hmm. world, you might actually stumble on it. You might actually walk through that, that wardrobe and find yourself in Narnia. Oh, and we didn't even talk about how they live in a giant pink and blue castle called the Dream Castle, which is one of my favorite toy sets as a child. Um, you know, kind of furthering the whole idea of mystery and <laughs> magic. And and I think that was the only way for a while to get Spike was you had to purchase Dream Castle. And Spike came inside of Dream Castle with another pony that never showed up in the series, um, who was a princess to them, but she wasn't a princess pony. Um what are some things as we go forward that you wish they would have kept from this that they did? Uh, I I would say that the the fact that this cast doesn't hold over into the next one is sort of the the original sin of the OG My Little Pony stuff that the mm-hmm. the cast becomes kind of um, interchangeable. Uh, like while they're they're key characters who will sort of recur um, the. The, the fact that like they made a big effort to introduce very clearly who these ones were and then they don't retain them for, for later stuff meant that like you kind of didn't feel a connection to some of the characters. Like there are a lot of ponies that just like will pop up and you're like, oh, yeah, everyone knows this one. But like, I don't know this one. I don't, I don't I have no clear idea of who it is, mm-hmm. which is then not helped by uh, additional complications in the production, which is uh, a lot of coloring errors. So oftentimes crowd shots, you can't tell or like the who is supposed to be who changes out pretty frequently Mm -hmm. there's one right off the bat here where uh when firefly uh crashes into uh into applejack that the like she gets covered with like broken apples and then it cuts to a group of ponies including what's supposed to be i forget the other pegasus in this one um but they color it pink and purple so that it is firefly right there Mm -hmm. uh Mm-hmm. Or pardon me, pink and blue. So it's like that, like, so right off the bat, you start having like little production issues, making it difficult to tell who's supposed to be whom. That's why it's like, well, do they even really reappear? Kind of, but also that could just be someone fucked up. Uh, and then also like mm-hmm. voice actors sometimes being used at the wrong spots. Like that, a huge 80s problem in general. Like uh, check out some of the weird clips of Ninja Turtles where they, they put the wrong voice on the wrong face. Uh, because that Absolutely. happened all the time. Like that... 
Um, but I think that I, I think if they had retained that cast and like I'm saying this knowing full well that my favorite pony is not in this cast. Like, but if that if this cast had re- been retained and then they just sort of expanded the world rather than sort of swapping mm-hmm. it out for effectively the same archetypes, but just like kind of like intermixed. I think you would have had at least at least when looking back on the My Little Pony franchise or like the G1 franchise, a concept of who the characters are, because I think that ultimately when you're looking at 80s My Little Pony, you remember the line as a whole. You might remember the types of ponies as a whole, which, sure, that's more of the marketing push. But Mm -hmm. let's be honest, the reason why, like, people remember Transformers from the era, because this had the same problem, but a little but. It had some key characters that people cared about. It had Optimus Prime. People remembered mm-hmm. Optimus Prime. Like, they remembered the characters that were, like, the principal ones that were introduced. And, like, in that show, they could introduce tons of new ones. Like, the first, like, that opening, mm-hmm. uh, what is it, like, six-part or whatever, like, more than meets the eye, has a huge number of Transformers. Yeah. And then, but they sort of set a limit. And then, you know, if you go, like, later in the same season, all of a sudden, there's way more. And <laughs> there's new ones. Every time they came up with a new toy, they mm-hmm. could introduce one. Um, but they still kept, like, a, a, a main base of characters for people to look back at and say, like, okay, that, like, the show was about, th- like, this army led by this person. And I think that they thought mm-hmm. that Megan and probably Spike were sufficient touchstones for everyone. But as a result, you look back on the My Little Pony, like, G1 era and you're like yeah there are a lot of different ponies and like certain episodes featured different ones and like if you're me and you lock on to like one who happened to be in the movie and in the show a bit like cool but like what we were saying it's just like it's weird that they that the rest aren't so, so important and that it's not consistent like mm-hmm. Firefly mm-hmm. could have been like a main character for the whole run of the show um, and, and we know that Firefly's Absolutely. spiritual successor Rainbow Dash has that same kind of vibe like that would have meant I feel Absolutely. a lot to people who could like look at this high production value one and then like stick with it. And yeah, that's basically it. I, I wish that that cast, because yeah. I, I realized that like the higher quality animation couldn't, couldn't be <laughs> carry over. Like that was a budget mm-hmm. thing. Like I get it. Like yeah. the redesigns that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Oh, and Megan's design. I hate her. So you don't like Megan yeah. in the... So that's my next question for you. So which Megan outfit do you prefer? Do you like the series Megan with the, the super 80s teal uh, ruffle shoulder overalls? <laughs> uh, um, or the like uh, cowboy Megan? Because we even get a variation of like Megan's in red in in with the next episode we're going to talk about, which is Escape from Katrina. Um and so Megan evolves quite a bit, but yeah, which is your favorite Megan outfit of the three? Oh my God. Cowboy Megan, obviously cowboy Megan. Like it, she looks like a character who rides horses. Obviously cowboy She's Megan. a horse girl. Like that's the point of this character. She's mm-hmm. a horse girl. And she looks like someone who actually knows how to ride horses and interacts in this world. And isn't this weirdly like the eighties has this weird fucking nostalgia for like the 1950s father knows best kind of bullshit. And like, I feel like some of this like overly feminized kind of design elements that they put in for the characters that are impractical in any sort of outside setting is part of that. Like it's this like callback to the fifties, which in itself is like this callback to sort of like a, a, uh, mm-hmm. a fluffy Victorian kind of style, but like trying to be like, but, but we're American instead of, you know, whatever, like it, I hate that look. It doesn't make sense. It only mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's only works if you're like I need to have them be like bright and colorful. Uh, but it doesn't look like something that you would wear to ride a horse. 
Well, and it also, they literally, it took years for them to release that outfit for the Megan doll that we did get, which looks nothing like Megan also. Um, Because when we got her, she was in this giant, like, cotillion white lace dress, which I didn't understand, because she came with Sundance. Um, And, uh, you know, we got a Molly that was in the same dress. But then years later, they would release Megan's dress, or the, the, like, jumpsuit on its own. But yeah, and I know it was super 80s and super girly looking, but I was like, it looked like a... A uh, rejected Gem of the Holograms kind of outfit for one of the Starlight Girls. Um, now, it is interesting looking as, you know, we talk about the size of the cast of ponies and sometimes ponies don't show up. Looking at the, the wiki, somebody's kind of broken down for each voice actor who plays what. And we really only, in 65 episodes, we've only got a rotating cast of about 25 ponies and baby ponies, which with, um, and that's including... Um, sea ponies and flutter ponies, um, which we will get to the MacGuffin that is the flutter ponies later. Um, that you know, they do keep a relatively small, sure, but these are shooting parts as opposed like they're all big crowd shots, Mm -hmm. yeah. So they're always full of the brightly colored ponies and things, but you know, like, well, and again, the problem I think goes that they have this big cast, but because, um, like, while. Well, sure. Like they've got twenty-five ish uh, main ponies for the for the main series. They au- they also have to deal with the fact that they're all in giant group shots with tons of other ponies. That is then further complicated again. Like I said, by coloring issues and by often putting the wrong voice on the wrong pony. Which even just rewatching a couple episodes this weekend to prep for this, I was like constantly seeing happen. Um, so it mm-hmm. it makes it difficult to track who is whom in any particular scene. And because some of these voice actors are playing multiple parts, like, sure, Nancy Cartwright is playing a whole bunch of ponies. It also just sounds like Nancy Cartwright every single time. Uh, and, like, yep. it just is sort of like, all right, well, that's going to be your kind of, like, Brooklyn-y kind of, like, tough, tough-ish version of that, ki- mm-hmm. of that type of pony, whatever is <laughs> right there. Um, so, I don't know. I, I just don't think that they uh, – I, I think that they missed out on an opportunity earlier – like they early on set up a distinct personalities for a few of them. And then they like still did that for some of them. Like there, you know, there, there are plenty that have like one, when you're watching it, you're like, Oh, they stand out as having like a thing that is about them. Um, but it, it just, it's so hard to keep track of them all. And they don't have a, a, a nice, convi- like their design is too similar to start with. Cause they're all like, the, cause the ponies just all look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, I, again, I'm not saying that it's necessarily an unwieldy number of characters, just that they're not doing us any favors for us to be able to track who they are. They're not. They're not. Well, and also, I mean, I love the art of the first two specials. Well, the first special, Katrina, you could tell they already started buffing it out a little bit more because um, it was like uh, almost a full year later while they were working on it. Um, but... I do understand from a design standpoint and a studio when you're trying to sell a show to a studio that's making a toy, when the show doesn't look anything like the toys that you're producing, um, you know, because they were kind of slow to get molds beyond the original earth ponies, the original Pegasus and the original unicorn, which are all very demure poses, very basic grounded poses of pony. Um, to then not really have your pilot look like those toys 
you know, they are going to go, well, how are kids going to connect the two? I mean, it's because adults always think kids are stupid, but they're not. Um, so I do understand why they kind of started tweaking as they went through um, the different different things. Now, I will say your favorite Wind Whistler is, only, is of Sarah uh, Partridge, and that's the only character that she voices on the series, which I think is why Wind Whistler stands out to you and so many fans, because I looked on Reddit, and she is, like, in the top five ponies of all time for people. Um, and uh, I, you kind of see her a little bit throughout a couple characters in Friendship is Magic. They try to tweak her in a little bit most... Mostly, I think, as as Princess Celestia, but um, you know, it's it's uh, she's an interesting pony. One because she's so much smarter than the rest of them. Um, but we haven't gotten Wind Whistler yet. We haven't met her yet. Um, so you know, as much as I love the you know Escape from Dark, yeah, or we'll say yeah. <laughs> as as much as I love Escape from Midnight Castle, there's not too much more we could say about it. I think other than everybody should definitely go watch this right now. It's so good. I I think it stands up really really beautifully. Saturday morning confidential. We'll be right back after this. Hey, nerf herders. You sure you want to go with that? Hey, everyone? There we go. More inviting. Have you ever had a movie that you really wanted to love, but something holds you back? Or one that you did love in spite of a flaw? Well, I'm Casey. And I'm Sam Alisea. And on another pass, we sit down with cool guests to look at movies that we find fascinating. But flawed. And we try to imagine what could have been done when they were made to give them that little push. We're not experts. We just believe in criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. Sure. So come take another pass at some movies with us. And every now and then, we can celebrate movies that did it on their own, too. You can find us at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pass it on. It's more fun, more fantasy, and more adventure than ever before seen on TV. Ride a rainbow with the My Little Ponies. Cuddle up with the Glow Friends. Go, go, go with the Potato Head Kids. And travel to the stars with the Moon Dreamers. This is where the magic is, where the rainbow ends. My Little Pony and Friends, weekday mornings at 8.30 on TV44. So the second kind of arc we're talking about it was the second special that was created pre-movie and I think a lot changed with their idea of what they were doing with the movie because um, the movie would have been in production at this point because uh, it came out the year later um, and so this is Escape from Katrina and so it's another idea of okay well oh the ponies ponies are going somewhere again we gotta save them um, Case what's the what's the plot of, of this story? All right. Well, first of all, slave labor. That's the yes. that's the main thing. It's an uprising of slaves. Uh, <clears throat> it, it's it's a real weird plot when you get into it. Uh, so as, as I kind of mentioned, they sort of introduced new characters uh, with each of these productions to sort of be like, here's some more toys. And the the and friends part of what would eventually be My Little Pony and Friends was that they started introducing other types of creatures. So this introduces the Bushwillies, which are. Mm -hmm. uh, initially presented as this uh, this slave cast to this dark sorceress uh, cat lady uh, called Katrina, um, who start talking about unions, and then their middle management, uh, what is the name, uh, Rep, who is this shape shifting lizard character, 
start keeps on trying to placate them with like, what about vacation hours? What like what we're family here? It's like really weird to watch now. Like the <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, it, mm-hmm. it it feels uh, shockingly lefty in uh, in an eighties world. Uh, but anyway, eventually they go. They, they do their version of a strike is they run away. Um, and uh, and at which point Katrina is like, well, where can I get more slaves? And they, they actually say slaves, which is like kind of the the crazy part in this one, um, as opposed to like how, servants you know or workers or something to that effect. You know it's the 80s. Uh, like really like leaning into it because, because she needs them to create and serve her uh, this this drug that she consumes that gives her more magical powers. So that's that's their whole vibe there. Um and her shapeshifter henchman, like I said, the middle management person here, uh, is initially helping her because he's, in, in, you know, indebted to her for whatever reason. Scared of her uh, is the big one. And they, they conspire mm-hmm. to capture the ponies. And uh, with mixed, mixed success, and the, the ponies meet the, uh, the Bushwillies, and they, 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 they free their friends, and they eventually convince Rep to, like, help push... Uh, to help push Katrina in, down a down a pit, and then they save Katrina. I think at the end, uh, yeah, yeah, and convince yeah. her to she stop being bad. She has her redemption arc, and, and that's kind of. She does. And, and then at the end of it all, they have they have a party. Like it's it's a much fluffier, mm-hmm. although like I said, shockingly like kill the bourgeoisie kind of like vibe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, of, a, of a, a lot after, different. Than um, let's turn you uh, after uh, rescue at midnight castle. Yeah, which is, you know, a lot different than uh, let's uh, just uh, turn everyone into dark leviathans of evil. So, you know, just a little bit tonally different. Um, so what are some things that you really love about this two-parter? Um, I So for a long time, this I didn't like this one that much. Um, yeah. and, and I think that I, I kind of stand by that, generally speaking. I don't think Katrina is like a particularly interesting villain that uh, here, aside yeah. from her like aesthetic, which like she's drawn... Very 80s cat lady. Like, I think if mm-hmm. if I say those words and you're familiar with 80s animation, you can picture her exactly. Especially if if I say with, like, long hair and robes as opposed to, like, jumpsuit kind of style. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can you can imagine her. You don't need to look it up. If you do, you'll be like, oh, shit, I was right. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, I think that it's interesting with the Bushwillies stuff. But that said, I also hate the Bushwillies. They're, like, very annoying. Um, like they're basically just triples as, uh, as characters, mm-hmm. which is, is like kind of fine. And I, I do enjoy the plot here. Like when you're actually looking at it from the perspective of being like, oh yeah, like solidarity, like go, go, go. Like that's, that's all cool. Um, but <laughs> I don't know, like, <laughs> like uh, in yeah. retrospect, the, the, the actual narrative is interesting because of this whole like slave uprising where we get the management to join with us and overthrow, uh, like the, you know, the proletariat, uh, or probably the overthrow the portion mm-hmm. as the proletariat rises. Like that's all like a lot of fun. Um, but the, the characters, the, the ponies in this one don't really stand out as much in part because it's not as good of like, this is just not as good a production as rescue at midnight mm-hmm. castle. And like the characters aren't as quickly well defined. Like they get some of it because um, mm-hmm. uh, Sundance like has some nice bits with Megan, so you get like stuff there. But they also don't really pers- like they might pop up, but they're not like major. They're, like they're not the main characters of the next movie, and then the sort of franchise kind of shifts gears after that. So this is kind of the redheaded stepchild of the of the series, or like the middle child of the series. Like um, Tails mm-hmm. picks up from quote unquote the movie, and that one. Sets mm-hmm. the tone for the remainder 
and this one is not the first one that had you know all the all the stuff that was going on there. So it's kind of just like the, yep. the the middle one. Well, and it's evident they're trying to give Megan like a partner pony, like figure out what pony she feels closely tied to, which you know for some reason. I don't know why they didn't just redesign Firefly and bring her back over. I don't know if it was a, they couldn't use her if they didn't have Sandy Duncan. I mean, and I couldn't find any info on it online. So like, it's just going to have to live in infamy or a mystery or if a brony's out there who knows and wants to fill me in, hang on under discord. Let us know what I'm fucking up because I'm sure somebody out there knows. Um, yeah, this one isn't one of my favorites. I found myself zoning in and out. Um, I like the production design. It sounds a little funky. I love that Katrina is this like weird Gibson girl. Like when she's good, like she's got the very early 1910s hair and aesthetic in the, her, like her, her, her lizard man is in love with her, which is, you know, I'm not going to ask questions. Uh, but yeah, it's just not as effective. I think storytelling wise for me, as Rescue at Midnight Castle. I think we're going to see this kind of as a trend as we continue to go through. It gets a little fluffier. Now, what I will say is they did focus on telling a complete story in a shorter time than they did with Rescue at Midnight Castle, which, um, you know, when we get into the series and there is very few single episode stories in the entirety of the this show, I think I'm looking at like five between the two seasons of stories that are told in one episode. Um, and yeah, it's it just not six. Now I personally love the Bushwillies. I think they are more interesting than the Grundles who we meet in the movie, though I do love the Grundles as well. Um, and I was thinking it was interesting that we didn't get a Bushwilly toy until we get the princess ponies. Well, I will say, I feel like the Bushwillies and the Grundles are feel kind of redundant. They do. They absolutely do. And I think it's because, they were trying to create these and friends, but like then went no kids are going to go buy a toy of the Grundles. Uh, I would, because I would love a Grundle King because he was voiced by Danny DeVito. So anybody out there that's making custom, custom Grundle action figures, call you boy. <laughs> um, also the fact that they're called the Grundle. Now I went, <laughs> okay, we've moved on. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. This is one where, Especially if all you're doing is looking at it next to Return or Rescue at Midnight Castle, they are two different shows. They are they have Megan and Spike, and that's it. Kind of like it's they're two different versions of a world. Like I feel like you gave two different creators the same prompt, and these were the two things that they got, which might have been what they did. Um, and then seeing what we got with the movie next, it's obvious that they were moving yeah. kind of, this is the Sonic CD oh, with the movie that comes out being Sonic. Uh, yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. You right. You, you're so right. You are so right there. Well, especially cause I think they're trying to clean up and simplify the story because they think that this is the point where I guess they're talking down to kids. They were also trying to figure out the age demographic for ponies because when ponies started, they were pushing it towards the gym, the hologram girls, the teenagers. Um, but the toys were still being marketed to small children. And so I think we can see them trying to align somewhere in the middle with this, that we definitely fall right in the middle. Um, with, uh, with this one though, I still just want to say, how did they land Tony Randall as Moochick? Like, 
maybe it's because I grew up watching the movies that he starred in, but I was like, and you know, maybe it's because it's the mid eighties and you know, AIDS crisis and things. But I was like, how did they book Tony Randall? Like, this is just so weird to me. And maybe he just wasn't working much and nobody wanted him. But I was, but like, he consistently is the moochick through like the entirety of this series. Like he's in the whole series as the moochick. Um, and I will, I have to say, I have been really sad that the moochick never showed up. Uh, in Friendship is Magic. I thought he should have shown up. I would have loved it if he did. He is so useless. He is literally so useless. He's the MacGuffin machine. But, like, he speaks in rhyme. He speaks in riddle. He lives in a giant uh, uh, mushroom. Um, I feel like he's a rejected version of Papa Smurf in many ways. Uh, With a super competent rabbit sidekick. I love the (laughs) rabbit sidekick. Again, I'm mad. I don't think we ever got a Mushnik toy either. Or Mushnik, oh my god. Um, the Moochik. <laughs> Moochik, very different. Though, you could probably have uh, the Moochik as Mushnik in Little Moochik, Ship. Yeah. Uh, in Little Shop of Horrors. Um, but yeah, it's just this one, it's not as good. I also feel kind of <laughs> bad. This is a really... I mean, I know their viewership had dropped a lot, but like... This is a really rough way to end a series. Like... Um, because uh, you've got the two-parter with the brother. The well, brother uh, hold on. Tony's. But calling this the last episode, this was just that they... Right. They tacked it on at the end. This was like, made Like, before. this doesn't feel... Like, e- even when this came out, like, the fact that it its release was at the end, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's not presented as the last oh, episode. No, because the next week, all. another episode aired. It just happened to be another older episode. Right. So, yeah, well, like, and that was, you know... Again, kids, this is the 80s where, like, that, kids but. today might not be as familiar with, like... Like, kids today might not be as familiar with the concept of, like, oh, yeah, the, you'll just see a random episode of a show when you tune in, and you're going to mm-hmm. watch it because you like this show. Like, you know, when you couldn't go back and rewatch it, it was, like, exciting to be like, oh, I did see this episode of Rescue Rangers before. Mm-hmm. I love this episode. I can't wait to watch it again and better remember the details. So, like, mm-hmm. the fact that they played this at the end of the season, and the same with uh, Rescue at Midnight mm-hmm. Castle for the end of season one, is just them, mm-hmm. like, being like, well, we have it. We might as well put it out there in, and, like, put it, might like, somewhere in an order. But it's it's obviously, this right. is this is the second story in the G1 My Little Pony line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it just feels kind of On funny. that note, we don't have it on our, like, slate, but we should mention the movie for a minute. I think we do. The, the movie, I... I it ha- has a lot of problems. I love the movie. Um, I watch it often. Um, you know, and uh, the movie is where I think a lot of the criticism of the franchise, which is the overly feminizing of the characters, um, kind of leaning into what were toxic, f- what not toxic female traits, but like toxic traits that like Hollywood was pushing on girls, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, d- the, that's the con- the one controversy that comes up is like the overly girlifying of everything. And I was like, well, I, I mean, that was everything during this time. Like the boys needed to be He-Man and all the girls needed to be My Little Ponies or Jim. So like, you know, it's, it's, it's a time where it's not right, but it is of the time. Um, and I, I, I think it is interesting to release a movie yeah. that had a really limited, like how, I know they broadcast both. There was a way to have watched Rescue from Night Castle, Midnight Castle and Escape from Katrina, but they hadn't been on TV. But the mo- the toys had been out for, you know, four years. But how did you expect to tell sell a movie 
uh, like, because, you know, My Little Pony, the movie, and Transformers, the movie, come out in the same year. But Transformers, you had, like, a good arc going. You had a good TV series going before you had that movie out. Care Bears, the same way. You had already had some of the series out before the Care Bear movies came out. So I, I'm I'm still unsure as to why they decided to be like, you know what we need to do? Launch a TV show with a movie. I, I don't understand that they didn't just broadcast on TV first. It was broadcast in theaters. Yeah, it's so ass backwards. And the fact that like they have actual like stars in this kind of makes it like this weird anomaly. Uh, like as we're kind of saying, it's, you know, the Transformers movie came after what season two, season three. Yeah. Um, I forget that there's like that full season after it. And then like the ha- like, yeah, so I think it's season two and then three is when they switch to the uh, the movie uh, timeline where there's a time jump. Um, but that like, yeah, that made sense because you had built up a fandom going into it. This one is technically a sequel to the two other made for TV movies that had come before mm-hmm. it. And then it also is the launch point for the show. And, and again, the cast is all new in this one, aside from Megan and Spike. Uh, so yeah, and sure, technically, yeah, some of them might be in the background, but like, again, maybe that's just a coloring error. So who knows if you ever see any of your old favorites again, um, in this case, mm-hmm. they, it's a whole new cast and they, uh, just like let everyone's like, just chill with it. There's never any introduction points. Like looking back at it, you're like, wait, if you had never, if, if you're coming into this, having not seen any My Little Pony or having seen all the My Little Pony, you'll be equally confused as to who anyone in this is. Um, yes. But it's also yes, like absolutely. weirdly fun. And like, I think the stakes of the, mm-hmm. of the, of the movie are really good. Um, but it's also so flagrant in like the toys that they're selling. Cause they're like, okay, we're going, we're getting rid of the castle and we're going to switch to this like ranch style uh, paradise estate, which feels more, more appropriate. It feels more like stables for a horse. Um, so that yeah. like, kind of makes a little bit more sense. And it's the thing they're going to use for the TV show. Um, you know, they, they introduce a chunk of the characters who, that who become then staples for the show. And then, then they introduce the flutter ponies as the new MacGuffin pony to show up uh, for the series. And the grundles yeah. as the new friends for, to show up for the and friends part. Uh, mm-hmm. And, yeah, the Grundles uh, are mostly noted for being like, oh, they're terrifying. They're freakish, although like relatively speaking, this world is weird on that on those rules. Um, mm-hmm. But they're super nice, and that's that like vibe of being like, oh, like don't judge people by their appearance, which actually, like I said, permeates throughout all of My Little Pony, yeah, uh, and is good. <laughs> like I'm glad for that part. Uh, and I yeah, do like, just have to Danny say, Danny DeVito's we, in it, Rhea Perlman's in it, Madeline, uh, Madeline Kahn, Clarice Leishman. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so dumb. I love it so much. Uh, yeah. It's the Sanderson sisters before the Sanderson sisters. Really, truly. <laughs> um, you know, I, the movie's great. I think, you know, you have to take it for what it is. It is pure nostalgia for me. And so I understand that it is a literal, you know, not certified fresh and rotten tomatoes. But I, I think it's to me because I did have, because you could get a VHS of the movie. If you sent in 10 proof of purchases from 20 there were like 25 ponies that qualified you for this movie and so if you sent them in with like 9.99 they sent you a vhs copy of the movie um and so i we had it at home and bitch did i wear this fucking movie out this and then i remember when they finally released 
Firefly, the unflocked Firefly, and you got a copy of Rescue at Midnight Castle on VHS with it. And so I had those two. And so I think for me, um, that mo- the movie is so prevalent in my mind as uh, it, it is what ponies is for me because I was able to rewatch that over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think it might've actually been the first home video that came out for my little pony. Um, Oh, it definitely was the UK got, uh, the UK got, um, I things, but I would, they didn't, Oh, what is it? I've got it. I've got it right here. Um, so I, th- I think I, I definitely say anybody that's interested after we've talked about it, maybe, maybe go give the, uh, go, go, go give the movie a view. It's a good time. <laughs> um, though I do think it's interesting that they had different voice actors. Yeah. I would say watch, I mean, uh, re- you go ahead. Oh, sorry. I would say watch Rescue at Midnight Castle first yeah. if you if this intrigues you, and then watch the movie, and then watch any of the rest. Yeah, um, yeah. Like the movie, I think <laughs> the strongest points going for it are, like again, real star power and moments of great animation mixed in with the with very bad animation. Um, a, an yeah. interesting villain concept with like the witches creating the schmooze, which is so so like like hit my memories uh, as a kid. Uh, it, it's like this terrifying, like unstoppable glob that is like all this eldritch horror because they're just faces all over it. And it's, it's creepy. And if it touches you, you become a bad person. Like it's uh, like shockingly good in that regard as like a, a, a as a device to both make uh, to create drama between the characters and also be a threat for them. Um, so like that's great. Uh, and then, like I said, this introduces Wind Whistler, which is my favorite pony in the series. Uh, like. Like it, 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 Wind Whistler is the Spock of the series. Like I don't think we've like really talked too much yeah, about that. She like, definitely is. She's described she's so as being smart. like she's insanely uh, smart, less emotional than the others. Yeah, mm. yeah, and part of that is the the like we're going to show how smart we are by having a big vocabulary, which I mm. may have taken the wrong lesson from that, but like I dig that. Uh, and the character is distinctly not actually unemotional. Like is very like. Uh, like muses mm-hmm. poetically about the value of friendship at multiple points, both in the movie and then the later series. But there's also plenty of episodes where they're like, you're, del- you're like a machine um, and treats the character like, the- like they're not emotional. And like, mm-hmm. I was like, I-, I dig this character just as a general concept. And like, uh, like I, you, I often find that that type of character to be my favorite in things. And that probably starts here. I'm going to say that this is the first appearance of Bart Simpson that we get. I'm canonically saying that because Gusty is one of the ponies that gets smoothed. And it's, it's just, it's Nancy Cartwright doing her Bart Simpson before Bart Simpson. And just because Gusty, one, Gusty's always kind of a pain in the ass. Like that is just their thing. Uh, but in this movie, once once Gusty becomes the curmudgeon, I'm just like, it's, it's just, it is Bart Simpson. <laughs> no, I do want to point Point out for anybody who needs to be sold on the movie, there is somebody I would argue just as famous for cartoon people, which is Scott Menville, who is the voice of Robin on Teen Titans, is Danny. Oh, snap. That's... I know. I, j- I saw him on the series list of cast and I went, no, that can't be the same. And I went, 
motherfucker. Cause I also forget that he's like well into his forties. Um, and so he, he's just older than we are, but he was a child voice actor. So it makes sense that he was actually a child, but it's funny, like him voicing Danny who Danny and Robin are not that different in age, really respectively, maybe seven or eight years apart. But like, there, it just doesn't sound like Scott at all. Cause Scott's very much one of those, like he's like Greg Sipes where his voice is his voice. Um, and he does great work with it. And I'm a big, big fan of his work, but I, it's one of those that I saw or like, you know, Susan blue who voices everything in the eighties and nineties. Like she's just an icon. Well, and then Frank Welker is in my little pony. And then the late Rossi Taylor, who is the voice of Minnie mouse. Like, yeah, I almost was going to be like, I, I almost feel like we don't need to say that Frank Welker's in this because Frank Welker is so ubiquitous in all animated properties that yeah, like, I agree. just like, it's not, uh, it's unfortunately not a badge of honor to be like, Oh, Frank Welker's in it because it's just like, Oh, well, yeah. Okay. I, that makes He's sense. He's in everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it is always nice to see his name. Like, I'm glad that he gets all the work. <laughs> Me too. Honestly. Yeah, honestly. I mean, it's, I just, you know, there is some also just, I love that how many of these people acted and were acted. And I will say the movie is the last time that Tammy Anderson would voice uh, Amerson would voice Megan because when we get into the series, Bettina, who is a very well-known uh, young voice actress from the eighties, uh, took over as the voice actress of Megan at that point. Um, she's also the voice of rainbow bright, um, to who is supposed to be four. I always forget that rainbow bright is a literal toddler. Um, in, in that series, it's a whole world run by little colorful toddlers, which sounds terrifying. I understand why Murky and Lurky hate them so much, but this is not the rainbow bright episode, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So we chatted the movie. I definitely, I love the movie. It's pure yeah. nostalgia for me. So I think go watch the movie, watch rescue at midnight castle. Um, go check out the, another pass episode on the movie. And then, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the one that we did want to talk about a lot was the gold coins. Cause I think that's a really interesting story. The gold coins. I like the magic coins. I don't remember seeing this ever before magic watching coins, it. Yeah. I don't remember ever watching this. Like I like peripherally watching it as an adult, but like, I don't have any memories of this as a kid. So, why don't you walk us through the uh, the brief plot of the four parter for the magic coins? Yeah, so the magic coins the, the is an interesting one in that um, there isn't really an antagonist centrally to this piece. Um, it mm-hmm. the the ponies discover this like chest of, of coins in like a body of water near where they're playing, and they find out that if you are holding one, like all the coins have like some kind of engraving on it, that if you're holding one that sort of corresponds to a desire that you verbalize, if you make a wish, it will do it. But it's a lot of this like monkey's paw style wishes. So that like, unless you're very specific about the criteria, it will not work particularly well. Like it'll backfire on you. Um, And so early on, because a storm is about to break up them playing one of the baby ponies uh, wishes that it would, uh, it would never rain or it would stop raining. I forget her exact wording, but it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty severe uh, and like stomps on a a coin that just happens to cause all the storms to go away. And it just like stops, stops raining completely and causes this terrible drought. And everyone is, starts dying. Like the, the, uh, like the the water ponies all uh, the like, all, like ponies. their bodies of water start evaporating. So <gasps> yeah, so a big a big quest in this is like a group of them trying to get the baby sea ponies to some kind of body of water so that they won't die. Um, 
which they're very clear about. Wind Whistler says specifically they won't survive long if they're not in their if they're not in their natural habitat. Um, and I, you know, I always love me some uh, some uh, some mm-hmm. some big words, some a strong lexicon, uh, and and that was a, a fun element there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turns out that uh, the the coins were all owned and created by this troll. Like they go they go to the Moochick who explains it all, um, who is designed. He looks just like a fat human. Like I. <laughs> <laughs> like apparently he has magic powers, but he's like kind of just like uh, like a gross fat dude who uh, has a troll be- or has a pardon me has a troll bridge a toll bridge pardon me uh, because he's a troll and that makes sense. Uh, and he's uh, been hoarding wealth, so like when they they try to like come and ask him to like take the coins back and take back the magic, they've already used too many of it because every time they make a wish, the coin disappears, uh, and he refuses to help them. Uh, uh, and at this point, they've created this environment where they're all they're all dehydrated. Like it's been like the drought has become so severe. The weather has gotten so hot, um, that all the, all the, uh, all the Pegasus, pardon me, all the Pegasi can't fly because, uh, they're so tired and the, the air is so dry. Like nothing's really working for them. Uh, so this, this allows them to have some stakes because mm-hmm. there's several points where like, Oh, they might fall. Um, which is usually negated by the fact that like half of them can fly, uh, becomes a big issue. Uh, so eventually they, they promise to find some kind of treasure that is more valuable than the coins. And the, the troll agrees like, okay, if you bring me that, I will turn off the magic for it. Um, and they, they go on three different, like they split into three and go off to try to find different kind of valuable things, which creates these big action sequences. Um, this this is a good multi-parter. It does have one of the worst characters in the series in the form of Puck, mm-hmm. this like random guy oh, they just find. I mean, God. like it might as well just be actual Puck from oh. Midsummer's Night's. I just assumed it was. I assume that's why they called him Puck. Yeah, it, it may as well be, but it's that kind of character. It's not as good as the Gargoyle Puck, obviously. Um, it's just this annoying little imp that jumps around and speaks an annoying voice. Worst character in the series. There's competition, but I would, I would say it's, it's probably the worst, but probably, but the series overall is pretty fun. They, they go to a a couple different death traps, uh, to find like ancient treasures. Mm -hmm. Um, and for each one has an issue with it. Like one is like a giant Ruby that is, uh, like they have plenty of another, they accidentally crack on the way out uh, after this like whole horrific ordeal to like do an Indiana Jones style kind of like heist from a tomb kind of thing. And like it falls apart when they arrive. Like, so ultimately like mm-hmm. the, the trolls like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't care about any of this shit. And, uh, they, they do their, so they leave dejected. I forget. Um, I forget the specifics on why now I, I just watched this last night. And, uh, but, uh, Megan is almost endangered. Wind Whistler saves her, says the value of friendship is, you know, again, like this, like poetic sort of like discussion about the value of friendship. And Megan's like, oh, shit, that's the thing. Um, and they go back to the troll and use a wish to create a friend. And this creates this like odd couple or like Burton Ernie scenario where there is like this, this slovenly like magic troll guy. Uh, who's been living by himself, all of a sudden they create this like like uptight, prim, proper, like butler version of the same character. Like, it again, it's it's like the troll was fucking Ernie and they just created Bert and he like starts cleaning up everything and like ordering him around to like, like tidy up and so forth. And the troll is so excited to have a friend uh, that he's like, yeah, sure, I'll turn back the magic. And, and they just do. And it's like, 
it's interesting from a from a story writing perspective where it's not just like let's have a bad person like let's have like while while the troll character ultimately plays the part of antagonist in it he's not mm-hmm. the one who is actually the catalyst for any of the events he is just someone that they're trying to appeal to who is unreceptive to it mm-hmm. and they are writing about they're writing a story about effectively a natural disaster uh, because the while yes one one of the wishes is to stop the rain the actual all the problems come because the rain has stopped um and like that sort of calamity it's like an accident occurs and then like everything becomes bad over time and it does, they don't even realize it at first and it's all the efforts that they're trying to make to fix things so it's like actually a surprisingly good like little uh, little story right there i argue that this watches like a first timers D campaign would like you've got some baby players for the first time and you're taking them through very simple a very simple campaign and i you know it's it's got all the little things and i actually i thought it was really fun uh I, other than puck though i'm gonna posit this that anytime we don't think there's truly a villain here i'm gonna tell you who the villain is it's the baby ponies they fuck up everything particularly baby lickety split fucks up everything <laughs> That, that's true. Baby Lucky Split is uh, responsible for a lot of problems throughout the series, including in the movie. <laughs> the movie! <laughs> the whole goddamn thing. Yep. Uh, but I actually, I really, I think the story in this is fun. It's not super complicated. It's adorable. It's also, again, it kind of captures that idea of what Ponies is about. It's that, like, with friendship and with people by your side, nothing's ever going to be that bad, and we can kind of figure all these things out on our own, which I think is a good thing for you think they kind of tapped into who their younger audience was at this point. Um, especially when the, the, the time that this would have been on. Um, I think it's super cute. It's again, it's not too deep. I don't think I need to look too deep at it. Uh, puck you can get rid of because I was waiting for, maybe it's because my fantasy brain, I was waiting for puck to betray them at any point. Um, I was waiting for puck to be like the, yeah, uh, he just kind of uh, shows up and is with them. And yeah. Cause he's the one that like gets them to the ogre. And I thought that that would be like the caveat of like, why would you bring this demon to me? And he was end up being something evil. And like, that was why everything goes bad. And the ogre doesn't help them because otherwise he just doesn't really serve a purpose other than like being quippy and jumping around on screen, which I imagine is more difficult to animate having someone just blasting around the, the frame. Uh, I'm not sure about that because like a lot of the jumps are very much just like him in sort of like a somersault position being like rotated on screen. So from a, it, oh, yeah. it might actually be a pretty easy kind of uh, shot there. But yeah, it the, when he first showed up, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. They they encounter a person who's going to reveal themselves to be uh, actually mm-hmm. there to betray them or there to steal the coins or something, and he's not. Like, which on the one hand is like, well, that mm-hmm. then why do you have him? But on the other hand, it's also like, well, maybe it's good to not teach everyone to automatically distrust strangers that way. Like, I don't know. It's a kids' cartoon, mm-hmm. so also you want stranger danger, but like. They're, they're safe. They're a big. They're a big group of horses that you know. Theoretically, they're the adult ones, um, mm-hmm. so it it sh- it should be fine. Like they're not like. Mm-hmm. It's just like weird when uh, he he just joins the group and he's just with them and there, there's no. Yeah. It's not even like he's uh, dealing with like part of the calamity himself. It's not like there's a common cause. He's just like, oh hey, what's up? You're <laughs> you're walking through an area where I happen to just be like jumping around for no yeah. apparent reason. I, I, I'll go I'll go with you guys and show you around. Like it's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's super cute. It, this is one that I definitely have on my list of like, Oh, I'll go back and rewatch this one. It's super cute. It's adorable. Um, 
And again, I think it does what the show is trying to accomplish, which is not be too deep and sell some toys. I think, I mean, ultimately I think that's, um, you know, the legacy of this franchise is one that could have died at any point. Um, because again, they never quite figured out how to make ponies work other than as a toy line. Um, now the Europeans loved my little pony because my little pony in the U S the show stopped with my little pony, uh, tales in 93 and we stopped the toy line in 92, but the toy line would continue the way we knew it with that gen one design into like 1996 in Europe and South America. And then they had a very European sleek, skinny pony design through the late nineties that never hit here either. Like it didn't do well. Um, because also at this point they tried to make it a PC digital pet kind of thing where like you had a farm of ponies on your PC that you would like keep alive and keep happy and help them find their power in things called the friendship garden. Um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but yeah, I don't think they ever effectively really tapped into what this franchise could be until friendship is magic came around. And I guess a lot of that is hindsight also because Lauren Faust is the queen of strange and unconventional storytelling. But I think she even did things with friendship is magic. Well, also she left friendship is magic early on. So, um, she was the mind behind it, but like other people really helped it soar as well as her. But I, I'm, I'm so glad this exists and I'm so glad this is something that I can go back and go one. It's not particularly problematic in a way that most eighties cartoons aren't problematic. Um, it's cute. The ponies are adorable. I love them. Um, would I put my fr- kids down in front of it? Absolutely. If I was babysitting, I put kids in front of this any second. It's super cute. It's adorable. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think nostalgia, this is one we don't need to think too hard about. Like we can enjoy it. We can be glad it exists. I'm glad we're revisiting it. Um, now, Case, I have a question for you, uh, which is really what this show is about. Because you're a creator, you're an artist, you do some really fantastic conversations in your podcasts. In what ways do you see inspiration from your childhood self case watching ponies in the way that you create now, create podcasts, the way that you create anything you've done? I think that this is part of the foundation for my love of like the fantasy genre. Um, I I think there's there's a lot of like baby's first fantasy going on Mm -hmm. here um, that I think plays really well. And I, one thing I, Uh that I think is really good that's going on here that I generally try to incorporate more when I can help it is a world where like characters can grade on each other, but are, are all still theoretically friends that we don't need to have like strict adversarial relationships between everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a weird element that there aren't a lot of male characters in this, like that. Um, and, and not, let me rephrase that. It's a weird element that the world exists without male characters because the, the, it just seems like a strange society to live in. Cause there's just like, there's no explanation for like ev- everything. Um, and later series have sort of adopted that better, but it's also kind of impressive that like you could do a, you could do a series like that where there wasn't an assumption that you needed to have a principal male character or, or male characters for them to fawn mm-hmm. over or anything like that. So th- I think those are, are good elements to like try to remember mm-hmm. that like, yeah, you can, you know, like the, the, the pretenses of how narrative was supposed to work, quote unquote, in, in the eighties, isn't necessarily true. Like that you can, 
Um, you, you can completely get rid of it. You can have a show that like passes the Bechdel test literally every episode with no problem whatsoever, and it's all good. And and you should sort of roll with that. I think, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that the, I, I think that the structure was working against them. It's in terms of like how how best to write it. Like, there's so few single like single parters because they're so short. And like, mm-hmm. um, I I tend to think in sort of um, medium length stories so like i would probably like the the four-part structure here is actually probably a really uh good one for the way that i tend to like plot out stories um getting getting longer ends up being more like like sequences of things like that when i like do nerf herders usually like the the structure was usually two or three episodes per story arc Mm -hmm. um so this is kind of like a similar vibe there and i write a lot of short plays which run about 30 minutes so about the same sort of length of these uh, like multi-parters. So probably there's some element of like what I feel a narrative should be sort of matches up to that pretty well. Um, yeah. Uh, and then like my affection for, uh, a, a strong, smart female character who, uh, just knows everything and, uh, no one like, like people might, might have jabs, but like, uh, no, no one can deny that they're, <laughs> that they're the boss bitch, like the queen. <laughs> I love it. So I have one last question for you, but I want you to pitch everything you do uh, over here on Certain POV. All right. So as you mentioned, I do all the stuff for Certain POV. And so the shows that I actually host on Certain POV are Another Pass, which is a movie podcast that uh, that you've been on several times. I co-host that with Sam Alisea, where we discuss movies that uh, we found fascinating but flawed and discuss how at the time of production things could have been worked to make a stronger piece. Uh, we also, every five movies look at a movie that, uh, had adversity going against it and they came around to make a stronger production as a result. Uh, so for example, as of the time of recording this, uh, we just did an episode on groundhogs day that was, uh, like a tough shoot. Like that was a, a movie that Bill Murray and Harold Ramis didn't speak again until Ramis was on his deathbed, uh, because of the production, but it's also an amazing comedy. Uh, and that part of that has something to do with the, the adversity that they faced in uh, in, in its production. Uh, so that's another pass. We look at bad movies and try to talk about how they could be good or good movies and talk about how they almost went bad. Um, then I host Men of Steel with J. Mike Falson, which is a Superman and Superman adjacent appreciation podcast. Uh, so we talk about stories that have that sort of heroic archetype, that, that uh, power fantasy where when you have power of action, what is the right thing to do? Uh, so we look at a lot of stories where it's it's characters who um, are capable of doing the right thing and and learning how that is supposed to be applied because I think that a lot of narrative in modern culture really appreciates the underdogs sometimes but it's also important to to assess that like you can't always be the underdog like you have to have stories that are um, people who are trying to do best when they actually are capable of doing something um, and it's good to sort of explore those as well. Um, so that's men of steel. And, uh, I am also the dungeon master for scruffy nerf herders, which is our, uh, network wide, uh, star Wars D and D game. Uh, we're on a little bit of a break between recording sessions because I've been doing them in like chunks of episodes. Um, but that'll be coming back soon. And then I also do all the videos and stuff for our YouTube channel. Uh, we put out a weekly video that is a rundown of everything that came out. Um, I do a video, on Superman analogs, so characters who are based on Superman that we put up on on the YouTube channel, and then I also do the the video versions of side quests, which is our um, uh, uh, Matt Storms, one of our co producers, 
uh, project of bringing in people to sort of like talk and reflect about like how awesome a video game was and why they loved it. So I, I make the video version of that, creating an animated head and, uh, you know, putting uh, sh- screenshots and so forth of the of the games that they're talking about. Uh, so those are all stuff I do at uh, certainpov.com. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Aiken. <laughs> and you should check all of that out and come hang out with us on the Discord. It was just reorganized. It looks awesome. I want to start doing Casey. I actually think, you know what I want to do, maybe we'll do in a couple weeks, is we'll do a live watch through of Escape, uh, Rescue from Midnight Castle. I think it would be really fun to do a watch party with everybody for that. Uh, I think that would just be super fun. We should do that one evening. Uh, just because you and I have so much time in the evenings. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> my summer contract is done. Um, uh, so my last question for you, Case, is when dealing with nostalgia, what is something that you wish people would keep in mind? Um, I think that what, what we were kind of saying before is that nostalgia can be a strong uh, positive force for people trying to fondly look back at things and, and take take those lessons and apply it going forward. It can also be kind of a, a, a toxic gate to be kept. Um, and I, I think that what people should learn from nostalgia is that you can take a property that meant something to you, but you need to look at it with clear eyes and see its faults and embrace all those, those elements. And I, you know, part of that is for looking back on it and just like rewatching it and enjoying it, but also doing new things with it. Like my little pony is a great example because friendship is magic is such a great show built on the foundations of this earlier line that they took all those good things and changed it and worked with it and made a really, a really compelling piece. And if you wanted to just gatekeep, that could be a thing to do. But also the other side of it is that there are a lot of toxic people who tried to say that only this new thing is good and not look back at the old. Like, I think that history is important. I think that respecting the, the, the tradition and the change of properties as time goes on and the way uh, new writers and new eyes kind of mold it is, is important. You know, it's, it is good to look at how a thing can mean something to different generations and change over those generations. Um, So I, I hope that if people really want to think about nostalgia, they think about it from that sort of shared history, this like oral tradition kind of component that uh, would be, uh, good for us to sort of remember societally and at the same time not be mad at someone for just like looking back and liking a thing that they liked when they were a kid. And, you know, sometimes you just need that sort of simple joy of being like, oh, I used to like this. And like seeing a picture from it makes me feel a little happy, even if it's not like the best work, you know, even if like a lot of the, the episodes of mm-hmm. My Little Pony and Friends are like kind of rough. Like it's like sometimes just nice to watch the end credits and be like, ah, that was that was, that was fun. I, I like that. And, and sometimes that just makes your day a little bit better. And if your day's a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know, be, be better mm-hmm. to the people around you. And maybe the whole world will be better if we're all like a little bit happy about the things that we want to be happy about. And we don't give people shit for them being happy about the things they want to be happy about. As long as they're not being assholes. <laughs> Are you tired of watching your beloved characters being tortured by careless authors? Are you sick of feeling like they could have swapped out all of the painful action and the plot would remain untouched? Subscribe to Books That Burn, the fortnightly book review podcast focusing on fictional depictions of trauma. We assume that the characters' reactions are reasonable and focus on how badly or well they were served by their authors. 
Join us for our minor character spotlights, main character discussions, and favorite non-traumatic things in the dark books we love. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're excited to be back with you after a short, unintentional hiatus thanks to some major technical difficulties. When I tell you the podcast almost ended, the podcast almost ended. So we're happy to be back. Thank you to Case for joining us as always. It's great having you on, buddy. Join us next time as I sit down for a continuation of our conversation with J.D. Martin about Steven Universe the movie and Steven Universe Future. As always, $2 a month on our Patreon shows us that you love what we're doing and you can't wait for what we have coming in the future. Don't forget to join other serial killers like you on the certain POV Discord. Join us next time for another deep dive in the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.